You know, so it is very blue ocean if you're kind of in the right uh, market value range. I would say it, it is um, getting pretty crowded in that sub 30,000 price point because that's where most of the courses start. Everybody can afford a $97 mini course. Everybody can afford to buy a $1,000 lot and sell it for 3000 right? But the problem is after a decade plus of all these educators doing this, they're all steering people to the same cheap markets, right? And, and it is pretty red ocean and it gets pretty crowded, but. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I get to interview Travis King, the man who has interviewed or coached, excuse me, over a thousand people in land, had over a hundred joint ventures, has built capital companies, courses, free um, uh, challenges that you can join about everything you could possibly imagine when it comes to education and doing the business of land. Travis, thank you so much for the honor of being able to interview you here on the show today. Take us away, man. Like why? I mean, I know you had a passion for houses at the beginning. Why land over houses? Well, in uh, <laughs> recession, it'll start with that, right? Like 08 recession, I guess would be where we, um, you know, kind of, I, I would say, you know, that, that decision tree of what asset class are we going to focus on, right? We were getting some traction with houses and house investing and, and rentals and stuff, but that darn 2008 recession, you know, um, um, really put us in a position to have to regroup and search for a new asset class with much less risk, right? Um, so that's kind of how we, how we found land, you know, um, in land investing. And you, you know, you and your listeners will hear. I'm a land fanatic, so all things land. Um, happy to talk about them. It's kind of allowed me to be like a, a serial entrepreneur, but stay in my own asset class. So we've done everything from like um, we started with just flipping cheap vacant land lots, and then later we got into subdividing, right? And then buying entire portfolios of land. Um, yes, and then along the way, right as we we felt like we kind of got this figured out and the, the big milestone was being able to replace the job income and go full-time, right? Become a full-time investor. That was when things really opened up and I had some financial freedom and some time freedom and starting helping others, um, which is kind of, you'll hear, right? Is that's kind of led into the, the education and, and helping others, you know, what was when I, yeah. I had some time freedom as I removed myself from the workforce and, and became a full-time investor. Love it. So let's either break some myths or confirm them. So you, when you invest in land, you got to have your money locked up for long periods of time. True? Not true? Debunked? False? Um, I think pre-internet, uh, some of this, some of these like uh, the stigma and myths, I really feel are like pre-internet, right? So a lot of these things like land is a long-term investment. I think that might have been true when land was very local, right? And your buyer, right, who you would sell it to is local. Um, obviously with things like Zillow, realtor.com, Trulia, you know, land.com, like, um, with the reach of the internet, not only has it opened things up like nationally, it's globally, right? So the beauty of it is, um, your, your buyer pool isn't just local anymore. So the land isn't really just a long-term play and how we do it. We're actually, uh, the secret sauce is we're capturing equity on the buy side. 
the acquisitions, which allows us to not have to hold it long term. The reason people hold long term any asset is what do we want it to do, right? We want it to appreciate or go up, or, right? That's why we're holding long term. But when we capture equity on the buy side or the acquisition side, we can realize the profit immediately, you know, through reselling it. And again, um, with the power of the Internet and MLS syndication, our reach is huge. You know, so our end buyer uh, doesn't have to be local looking through the newspaper like was maybe the case 25 years ago. Right. So I think some of that that myth of like land is a long term investment um, is really like pre-Internet residue. Right. So let's talk about you have to have a lot of money to buy land Like you got to buy it cash. Yeah. Well, I, I, the thing that people don't realize with land, and this was new to me too, like I was very skeptical when I first heard about lot flipping and land flipping. Um, I think it's important for people to understand like within land, although there's, there's lots of different types of land, there's commercial, there's all this. We focus on residential. And within residential land, there's kind of two types. There's like larger rural vacant land parcel, larger acreage, or infill lots, like we might be familiar with, right? The empty lot between two houses in your subdivision, right? So infill lots and rural vacant land, those are kind of the two types you can go after. And both of them are, you can be surprisingly cheap, you know, depending on what market you're, so we're not, we're not targeting Manhattan, right? You know what I mean? Like, like, so there's, we're not in the Bay Area, right? So some of these things, although we might be near primary cities or secondary cities, um, there, there's cheap land all over the place. So actually the, our first lot that we bought was through an online auction and it was less than $600. Right. So, I mean, you know, like that's crazy, right? So it was for us, it was really proof of concept. Like it, there's, there's so many different avenues you can take to, to acquire or buy the land. Um, we had started with online auctions, like county auctions, when people don't pay their property taxes. We bought them there, and then we were actually listing and reselling them on eBay. And we were just trying to make anywhere from 1000 to 5000 bucks a property and just trying to do that at scale. Um, later, in order to kind of control our own um, acquisitions or deal flow, we started getting into direct mail marketing, you know, sending out pulling lists and sending out campaigns so we could control what we targeted instead of just waiting for the auction cycle. Right. Um, but yeah, land can surprisingly be bought for 25. Uh, people will tell you pennies on the dollar, but the reality is a lot of that's marketing, right? I would say 25 cents to 50 cents on the dollar. We buy land every week. Um, the key though is like you're buying in markets where you can resell it. Because the first yeah. kind of the first kind of skept, skeptical thing you need to get over, skeptical hurdle is, can you really buy land for a quarter or 50 cents on the dollar? The second is like, once you realize, yes, you can, and you can do that all over the place. Um, the next one is like, well, if the intent is to resell it and realize that gain or profit, you need to be doing it in markets where, where there's a demand, right? Will the market absorb what you just bought? So otherwise you're just collecting land at a discount, which like I said, is fine if you're a long-term investor, but we're not, we're velocity, we're short-term. So you want to be buying land in markets where other people want to purchase it from you when you resell it, right? So yeah, that's kind of the, the very first thing that a lot of people struggle with is understanding like, 
why in the world would anybody sell their land, you know, for a 50 to 75% discount, you know? And I'm imagining, and you could probably add a number of things to this list. I'm imagining one of the big ones is land for a lot of people is not being utilized, right? So it costs them in some taxes, it costs them, it's money sitting unused. What are some of the main reasons, in addition to that, that you're seeing that people are willing to sell at a discount? Yeah, you're, you're spot on in that a lot of people are kind of the, the they undervalue it. They, um, and that's typically because they've, they bought it with the intention of doing something that they never got around to, right? Um, we hear over and over, right? And, it's, and it's, it's humorous, especially in older couples, right? Where um, they can speak freely, right? Where the wife says, you know, this knucklehead bought it, you know, a couple decades ago um, and, and we were going to build a cabin, right? Um, that was 20 years ago, you know, never got around to building the cabin. Um, we've been paying taxes on it for two decades. It's still just dirt, right? Or vacant land. Um, yes, I would be, you know, at this point, we just want to get rid of it, you know, and, and stop paying that tax bill. Um, so that's, you know, that that's one reason. Um, other times, sometimes people inherit something, you know, um, I always go, I always tell a story about a gal from Boston who her dad left her vacant land in, in Arizona, right? Um, she had no, no interest or no use of some desert land in Arizona, right? When she's a professional in Boston, um, there's right. a number of reasons, right? That they might end up with it and, and either don't know how to get rid of it, meaning like sometimes when you call agents, a lot of them have knowledge with listing houses, you know, um, or familiar with houses, but don't understand land or don't take land listings, right? So like um, even specialized, um, specialized agents with a focus on land is its own niche within being a realtor or an agent, right? So sometimes people either can't find one to take the listing or they had a previously like they had a bad experience with an agent who they listed too high. They didn't get any inquiries. It was listed for a year. The land never sold. So now they're kind of primed and receptive to an offer from you. Um, but yeah, there's a number of avenues you can take. We don't take like there's, you know, event based, right? Like divorce, pre foreclosure, probate. We don't really target or go after those because there's always urgency and there's always dysfunction, right? Associated with it. Our preference is kind of to like find the tired landowners, right? That, that uh, maybe live out of state. The beauty yeah. of this is when people house invest, they usually pull these lists where they're like absentee owners, you know? Um, well, if it's vacant land, it's always absentee, right? So you never try, it's not like the house investing as far as the land versus houses. It's not this conversation where you're trying to buy a house from somebody who's got like the kids heights marked on the door jam and they have all these memories and it's like emotional. They have to find new housing. Yeah. If you're buying their house out from under them where the land it's, yeah. it's vacant land, it's always absentee. Sometimes they're even out of state. There's just less connection, less emotional connection to it. Um, and you don't, you know, you don't feel all, all that emotion associated with it like you do within houses. Um, so for us, that's really what attracted us like, um, to land, there's a number of people that um, that are in that situation as being like a, a don't wanter, right? Yeah, that makes total sense. And then if we look at the amount, like there's a lot of coaching coming out, a lot of just people pushing land now, like way more than maybe three years ago or five years ago. If you look at 
the, the time as like innings. I know we're kind of probably still in a blue ocean scenario, but if you look at it as a nine inning game, where are we at in land as far as knowledge getting out there, competition? Yeah, I think that the challenge may be for people now getting into it is more noise, right, of, of educators, right? Anytime we have more gurus, more educators, more people, and I can look at this objectively and go, hey, if I were getting started, yeah, there. when I was starting 10 years ago is, is a model of land flipping, there's like three educators, right? Um, easy decision. I just bought everybody's course, went through them all, <laughs> you know, discarded the fluff and, and kind of married the concept. But now where, where there might be 20, 30 people and then, you know, like a lot of people uh, attempting to get into it or ed do five deals and then they're an educator now, right? Um, it's a noisy market for people trying to learn it. So I think you just have to identify like who you resonate with, right? Um, listen to a ton of free content. Find out who you resonate with um, and, you know, make sure your spidey senses aren't tingling when you're, you're following somebody. There's a lot of slick marketing, right? But um I would say as far as like being blue ocean, the it's still completely blue ocean in that the majority of the training courses and programs out there focus on a, a sandbox or a price point of land um, that agents won't take. Like when I started, all of the courses focused on, hey, everything we're targeting is 30,000 or less in market value because agents won't take these listings, right? So these people are in a spot, they actually own a liability, not an asset, right? It's an inefficient market because of this, right? And assessed values have nothing to do with actual values in this lower price point. So that was really how it was positioned to me and that's how most of the programs still are. What we found with time and, and just discovered on our own was, obviously as you start sending direct mail marketing campaigns, right? You you start to like track return on ad spend. You start to kind of learn like you go, well, I'm not making enough I, I, per transaction. So I have to increase my transaction count. Well, after we did about 70 transactions in one year, we, we said, hey, that's no fun. We, we don't want to do any more <laughs> transactions. We need to make more per transaction. So in order to do that, we had to start targeting much higher value properties. And that's honestly, Matt, where we stumbled. And ironically, I was reading the, the business book, The Blue Ocean Strategy, when this happened. We stumbled into a blue ocean, was, which was a lot of people weren't doing this business model at like a 30 plus that 30 to 300,000 is kind of our um, buy bot, you know, kind of that, that box we yeah. target now. And it kind of elevates us above the majority of the gurus and the programs that teach that other model. And the thing is, because a lot of people, they don't have their own capital, you know, sitting, even listeners, right? They might go, hey, that sounds great, right? Like like a $200,000 property. Let's say you find a $200,000 property, you can get it under contract for $100,000. Well, it doesn't mean much if you don't have $100,000 sitting to buy it, right? So, yeah. so a lot of people have capital limitations that restrict them from going after these bigger deals, Okay. Um, so, you know, so it is very blue ocean if you're kind of in the right um, market value range. I would say it, it is um, getting pretty crowded in that sub 30,000 price point because that's where most of the courses start. Everybody can afford a $97 mini course. Everybody can afford to buy a $1,000 lot and sell it for 3000 right? But the problem is after a decade plus of all these educators doing this, they're all steering people to the same 
cheap markets, right? And, and it is pretty red ocean and it gets pretty crowded, but um, we found at that higher price point, it allows you to make more per deal and do less deals per year, right? Which is then you prefer, like you got, you know, like you talk a lot about freedom, right? Um, you have the freedom of time to do things you enjoy doing instead of just being trapped in the business with a, you know, uh, doing a high number of transactions per year, but low, low profit margin. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. So we talk about the price discrepancy. So the price discrepancy is a big factor for competition. Above the 30000 is it different? Is there a huge difference in competition between infill and development or other types of land investing? Yeah, well, I think that so, so much has to do with what does the buyer of the property you're flipping intend to do with it? Well, if it's rural vacant land, they might plan to someday build a cabin or someday do something, right? They might not have immediate plans to build. Um, so there's so this rural vacant land market is just regardless of economy we've seen is always people are always buying rural vacant land, you know whether they want to pull a camper up there for the weekends. Um, I'm in I'm in Phoenix area, so a lot of people would pull a camper up to like Flagstaff. They might buy a property up there and they might just park the camper there. Some might want to someday build a cabin, right? So rural vacant land is kind of always just, it's always been really solid. We've, we've seen in the 10 years we've been in it. Um, infill lots are very much tied to um, the economy and interest rates, right? Like if the end buyer is planning to build a home, they need to go get a construction loan or a loan, right? Which along with loans come interest rates. So like, as we've seen, as interest rates went up, the infill lot game, the demand went down. You could still buy them, right? We could still buy them, but the days on market were much higher to resell them. So in our business, what we do is we, we kind of have those both two product types, right? And we don't focus on one or the other. We do both. And then based on the economy, we kind of swing the pendulum one direction or the other. When things are rocking and rolling and interest rates are low and builders are building, we lean heavy into infill lots, right? Um, when things slow down, interest rates go up, maybe builders aren't building, we, we lean heavier into rural vacant land, okay? 
Um, so that's kind of how, you know, kind of how we work the business. But those are the two types of land we focus on. There's there's so many different plays you, you can do, you know, commercial, um, subdividing, developing. Um, we primarily focus on um, just either buying and immediately reselling um, or subdividing. Um, we do, you know, we do a lot of that as well. So you've obviously launched coaching programs, coached over a thousand people one-on-one, which is a crazy number. Obviously, I'm sure you've earned that with having all of the work you did beforehand, not just selling five pieces of land and going into coaching. But like, t- tell me about the, out of the thousand people plus that you've coached one-on-one, what are the most common struggles they have and how do they overcome them? Yeah, well, let me clarify first or correct that. So that's a thousand one-on-one coaching calls, not a thousand individual yeah. clients there, but but yeah. Um, hundreds of people one-on-one, but over a thousand one-on-one coaching calls in the last two years. I mean, that's the last two years alone. There was years we, when I was doing it all like kind of pro bono or, or in communities and forums and helping people, I wasn't tracking, right? Anything. Um, so it's many more, but, um, yeah, we, uh, you, you know, you learn patterns, right? The, the beauty of helping people was you would get asked questions that either you kind of knew how to perform the task but you didn't know how you didn't know it thoroughly enough to train it. So that kind of forces you to kind of document your processes when you start coaching. Um, and the other thing is it it allows you to learn new markets. You know, my wife and I in our business, we were working exclusively in three states. But when I started coaching other land investors, right, they're all over the country. So I'd start learning their their markets, right? And then when we started after we, we started coaching and launched an education business, what we realized quickly was that we were, we were doing a good job of, um, I mean, pat ourselves in the back, we're doing a good job of, of helping people find deals. But then people would go, well, hey, I don't have the capital. I found this $100,000 property. I can get for 40, but I don't have the 40. Um, so that's where we very organically ended up you know, setting up and co-founding a capital company that would provide funding and joint venture, right? For people, because um, there's, I was in the same spot, right? At one point, whereas we started focusing on higher value properties, we could only do a couple at a time because we needed it to resell, to bring the money back into the business. And that really hamstrings you or limits you. Um, so when we started our capital company, that, that it really opened things up for students. You know, they could just focus on finding deals and not worry about like, will the money be there or, or do I have to ask mom or dad or an uncle or, or you know, somebody to find the money. Um, so that was really created like to, to help students um, so that they didn't have to, you know, turn a deal away. Right. Um, so yeah, the, the cool thing is it just, a, it all came like very organic. I started coaching and then we started funding. And then again, it, as we were funding and coaching, it exposed me to, I went from three states to like 29 different states where we were actively funding and reviewing deals. And I felt like just a byproduct of all that, it, it gave me a better read on the market, like nationally. And instead of like speaking to the land market in my couple states, like I really felt qualified to speak on the land market you know, as a whole, when we were, were underwriting deals in, in, you know, 20 plus states. Um, so, so the funny thing is, uh, we started out coaching because it's just, I, I love this stuff and I love helping people through their first deals and ideally build an income that eventually will allow them to leave their job, right? If they want to, much like I did. 
So I kind of just teach people to do what I've already done. I'm not teaching anything I haven't done. But um, along the way, you know, we've had to create solutions, right? As people bring up these recurring problems. Uh, but along the way, it's made me much bet, much better investor than I was as a solo investor, like educating and then even funding, right? Like I have to underwrite. We have to underwrite these things. So if it was my own money, I might be a little cavalier and say, yeah, I think this, I think we're good on this one, right? But if you know what I mean? Like if I'm funding it and we're doing it with any capital company with investors and stuff, I've got to really underwrite it. Um, so these other entities or businesses have really um, helped me become, I feel like, a better investor. And it's also just it helped me stay excited about the business because it becomes year one or year two. You're just trying to make enough money to hopefully eventually become a full time investor. But 10 years into it, you know, you need to find something that motivates you. So working with others, helping others. Right. Um, kind of keeps you energized, uh, you know, continue waking up and doing this. Right. So as you went into 29 different markets, did you find that most markets work in lock, lockstep and are moving up and down together? Is there a lot of divergence among the different markets? Tons of difference. So we, we've got, especially we've got like these, these I don't know, you want to call them black swan events, or you've got like these, these unique situations that you don't really know what's happening at the time. Like with COVID, right, is a great example. You know, we can't look back and go, oh, last time a worldwide pandemic happened, how did that affect the real estate market, right? We don't have that case study. So like as we saw people from the, these, uh, these very blue states and states with a lot of restrictions, right? Um, you know, you're in one, right? You're in California, right? As we, as we saw people not knowing how long these restrictions with COVID would last, we saw a couple of things happen. Like employers started to allow and, and entertain remote workers. And that opened things up to people relocating, right? So as people either A, like relocated because their employer didn't care where they were based now, or B, they relocated because maybe the restrictions were too intense, like related to COVID, and they could keep their income but move anywhere, right? We saw a lot of migration with that. So we saw, I'm in Arizona, we saw a lot of Californians move to Arizona. We saw a lot of people move to Texas and Florida. Um, we saw a lot of people in the Northeast and this is data, right? Like I'm following here, not just me saying it. Like we saw a lot of people in the North sure. move to the Carolinas and Florida, right? So as we see that those markets emerge, right? Those for us, those are land markets, right? So those are great markets to invest in They're Ironically, they're all red states, which means that they're, Generally, red states are more receptive to like development. It's not that I can't get a subdivide deal done in California, but it might take me three or four times as long. There's just more bureaucratic, problems, right? Oh, yeah. Right. I think everybody yeah. would agree on that. It just it, so we're tying up capital longer. It takes longer. So some of these states like Arizona, yeah. Texas, Florida, the Carolinas, right? They're receptive to subdividing and some of the strategies we run with land investing and they're growing. People are moving there. Right. So for us, that's kind of what we found. Like as we started to get in more states, um, we started to um, identify those states where people are moving and where the conditions are favorable to us, you know, as investors. Uh, but, yeah, we also learned things like we had previously only worked in title close only states and then we get into some of these states that are attorney closed only and you got to work yeah. so yeah so we're always sharpening the sword and learning new things right as we move into 
new markets. And, and um, let's say 70% of the process is the same, right? And then the rest are yeah. nuances related to that market. What were the challenges you faced in scaling so rapidly to 29 markets with your underwriting team? Well, we, I think a lot of it was like um, assumptive, right? Like you're, you don't have a bunch of other companies to model off of. So this is very much something like where you go, Hey, if we're too restrictive in the States, we'll fund the deals in, are we turning away a lot of leads, right? Like, or if we open this up to say, yes, we fund deals everywhere. Are we going to be overwhelmed with people submitting deals and we don't have the capital behind us, you know, to do all those deals. So there's a lot of those like internal conversations that go on where we're like, you know, uh, so we made the decision to just, Hey, let's, let's be like, um, very conservative with this. And, and, you know what I mean? And let's not go take on, you know, loads of eight figures of capital, you know, and, and promise we'll do all these deals. Let's like internally use our, our own money and not go crazy and, and have a proof of concept and just see organically how this grows the first year or two. Um, and for our capital company, it, was a, it proved to be a really good decision because, you know, the, um, you know, about a year ago, a year plus ago, right? Well, I'll timestamp it. We're in August of 23, right? About, let's say April or, or something of 2022, the market kind of shifted, interest rates went up, which meant the real estate market kind of slowed down, right? So that was a good decision for us to have not taken on a ton of outside capital, right? And try to grow too rapidly. Um, so, yeah, I think that was the main thing is that you, you don't know what you don't know in a new entity, like I said, we didn't step too yeah. far out. We were still in the asset class. So we knew when we're underwriting and approving deals to fund, we know land and we're confident that we're valuing it accurately. But what we don't know is what days on market will be in a future real estate market, right? Or how much yeah. capital cost, right? So, so those are some of the things you've always got as an entrepreneur. You've got to take some calculated risks, right? And, and that's really um, what we did. But we chose to say, hey, let's just, let's, um, let's be conservative the first couple of years and see what we've got and then adapt and iterate right from there. That sounds amazing. What is your vision for your life and business next 12 to 18 months? I think probably saying no to some more opportunities. Like as we've learned, you know, when I first started, it became about like the kind of internal, you know, conversation was like, Hey, how can I, I, I build a six figure second income that would allow me to leave my job? Right. And, and then when we do that, you start going, okay, how do I grow this company? Right. How do I scale this company? And then you, you kind of scale it. And then you realize you start to recognize the additional opportunities, right? Like these, for me, these adjacent opportunities, like, um, of funding, of consulting. Um, so there, there's a lot of additional opportunities that, you have to look at and you have to go just because I can, you know, doesn't mean I should. So do I want to continue to, to start new entities, right? Um, with the theme of freedom, right? The, the whole point of doing this, right, is to have the, you know, not just financial freedom, but time freedom. Um, so sometimes it's easy when you start to experience maybe success you never foresaw, right? It starts to happen. You kind of move the goalposts. Right. And you keep going, all right, more, 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 right. More companies, more revenue. So for us, I think the next answer your question, I think the next 12 to 18 months is more about going, you know, Hey, just cause we can, doesn't mean we should, you know, let's really make sure that each decision 
Um, we're kind of approaching that as like the, the, the CEO and not the tactician. Right. Um, and, yeah. and so we're like, right now we're, we're hiring, we're building out our team and we're trying to move in the next two years into more of like the dashboard CEO versus the operator, you know what I mean? Versus the operator of each company. Um, cause we have employees and we have remote VAs and stuff, but, um, but we still are my wife and I, the operators of each of our entities. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what the, the next couple of years hold is, is going, okay, let's get some people in the operator positions. And then we can, you know, kind of our next season is more of like that dashboard CEO. Hey, and if any of this resonated with you or land interests you, um, I think the best place to get started, um, because when I started, you know, you, you had to buy a course for everything, right? So um, rather than watching, you know, kind of YouTube University and spending several months kind of duct taping information together about land, um, this is exactly why we created a seven-day challenge. So, Matt, I've got a, a challenge. If people go to thelandflippingchallenge.com, um, they can enroll for free um, for a seven-day uh, challenge where each day it, it kind of drips out um, some training. It's almost five hours of training, and it really orients you about uh, the opportunities within land. You'll learn land as an asset class. You'll learn about flipping infill lots versus rural vacant land. Um, and at the end of the seven days, you'll know if it's something you want to move, you know, move forward with or if my training style uh, works for you. So, yeah, if anybody wants to get started, just go to the land flipping challenge is, is a good spot. Amazing. Well, Travis, thank you come on for coming on and sharing about your life and your business. So much to learn here. I mean, obviously, like 29 areas, 29 states, that's incredible. A thousand one on one coaching calls. That is also pretty stinking incredible. So guys, there's so much you can take away from today's episode. Write down something you learned, share it with somebody who knows they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 